I think we're um this one this episode's about meaning and stuff. It's got a whole conversation with Mr. Beebe is quite philosophical. I think it needs something with a little bit more bit more gravitas, you know. What about like can we have can we have like proper music? Like I was thinking just doing some notes and like that, um was it Elton John's Candle in the Wind or something? I thought that might have the one from Diana's funeral, I thought that could give us sort of respect this sort of philosophical episode requires. Um yeah, it is an idea, but I have a feeling it's going to be a little bit too expensive for you. Oh, oh! I thought you'd have, I thought you'd have access to stuff like this as a sort of sound, as a sound man. I mean, I can get it. It just depends how much you want to pay for it. Okay. I mean, what's what's your what's your budget for music? <clears throat> well, yeah, it's currently standing at zero. I'd say for yeah, I think yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay. I guess I'll just have to accept it. I mean, uh, I mean, first, yeah. I mean, I can offer you something else, but I, I definitely can't offer you that. Not for nothing, that's for sure. But have a listen. Have a listen to this and see what you think. Okay. That's quite nice, actually. That's quite soothing, I'd say. It's all right, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll save that one for later. I mean, I am still just—I am still a bit disappointed about this music situation. I mean, first of all, I've been waiting for you to get a proper studio for ages as well. And when I entered this, when I entered this sound relationship, I was kind of hoping, slightly hoping for more. I mean, I've got—I can't even have a guest in the studio. It's a one-man pod. I've entered, and I mean, I've got some brilliant. I've actually got some quite promising guests lined up it will happen don't lie. it will happen just oh, from, yeah. oh my God. Just I've got yeah all patience right. in it okay alright um, should we just crack on with the readout and uh, yeah get through it alright yeah well, don't rush me I mean we normally we do that sort of have a little chat you know sort of like a I think it's too much for people in a way if I go straight into my manifest now um yeah no I, what's what, what's been going on with you anything new literally nothing oh okay yeah that gives me a lot to go off yeah anyway i'll just uh waffle on i suppose about my life but um yeah it's funny actually i was uh especially considering the episode do you remember so i did that episode about andrew huberman the evil scientist and my lack of sleep hygiene crimes against i think i called it officially like crimes against sleep hygiene and it was funny because i was on so i was walking through the park yesterday in copenhagen and um heading for a swim actually they have a nice little have a nice little deal right here for the for the unemployed or what i'd call like partially uh, part-time business owners and it means that you get a very cheap swim essentially so i'm off off for my little swim um walking through the park and then there's some children danish children uh that sort of shuffle up to me a group of little little people and um probably about 13 and um embarrassingly such as my danish they immediately realized i was english and 
started speaking to me in English, even though they were only 13. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's I've done all of the Danish exams and stuff, but it is quite... It is quite embarrassing that I'm still at the stage for a 13-year-old or, like, maybe 11-year-old Dane can totally out-talk me. And Do you, me- do you remember I told you about... Um, was, I think it was on one of our... Do you call it off-air? I don't know if it's called off-air in a podcast. Some, yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, do you remember off-air I told you about the old man I was visiting? Yeah, 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 the guy you play chess with. Indeed, yeah, so... All right, so they have the scheme here in Copenhagen where um, you basically, old Danes get hooked up with young people who want to speak more Danish and it serves the purpose of young people speaking more Danish and the old people having more company, essentially. So I got set up in the system, took about a year on the waiting list. I mean, yeah and uh, almost gave up and they set me up with uh, this old man called Steen and yeah so I start going around to Steen's house which is an old people's home and you know it starts off all I was really sort of fulfilled by the experience you know like I was uh, going there every week and feeling as if I'd you know done something good for the community gone to see Steen, we chatted, chatted about his past life, his his grandchildren. It's very sweet. He had lots of grandchildren pictures up on the wall and Yeah. But then I noticed and you know, so I was speaking Danish to him, which is good for me. Um and but then I noticed so a few times in and then he started I got there and I arrived and he had these kind of matchsticks laid out on the table. And I was like, all right, this is a bit odd. He had lots of matchsticks, and he basically presented me with a logic game. Of you had to, so there were seven rows of matchsticks. You had to take some from one row every time, and it was whoever whoever's left with a matchstick loses essentially. So, all right, we start playing this game, and I'm like, okay, it's quite a bit of fun, but um, I think he was slightly testing my logic or testing my intelligence, which I found a bit odd. And I really don't like logic-related things, so I was like, oh, God, I'm in trouble, in trouble already. It's like he was sort of testing me out as a candidate to to be the person who went to talk with him every week. And started off with that, and I lost how countless times in a row. Then he said, you know, don't worry, because I'm like the grand master of this game. I play it with my grandchildren being his grandchildren has been being them for years and then I turn up one time and he's got a he's got a chess set out and he um, so he says alright you know do, do you play chess and I was like okay yeah we, I'll, you know, I'll play chess with you and so what I worked out was he was sort of manoeuvring me towards games and things that didn't actually he's basically working out a way that he didn't have to suffer my Danish because he was just finding ways to play games which didn't involve much talking because if you concentrate on chess obviously then you know there's not much talking involved things went from bad to worse 
because he kept on beating me over and over again, even though he'd had a stroke and his memory wasn't what it was. So it's kind of like my inadequacy at chess against his lack of memory. The only time I was winning, I won once. The only time I'd get anywhere is where he like forgot his queen was exposed. Then I took it. And um, after that, a few weeks later, he obviously decided I was so bad at chess, he abandoned me altogether. And um, so basically, yeah, I didn't you know, stop responding my, to my texts. So first of all, I wasn't good enough at Danish. Then I wasn't good enough at chess. Anyway, I thought I'd, I thought I'd let that one out. Um, and, uh, yeah, sorry, just went off on a Danish tangent. Because anyway, but the, I, was, I was talking to these young, these, these kids, and I thought, first of all, I was like, why are these young Danish people coming up to me on the streets? a bit odd. And then it was clear, it became clear that they were doing a survey. And lo and behold, the survey was kind of on sleep hygiene and tiredness. And so they started asking me, they were like, oh, how much do you sleep every night? It started off well for me, and I was like, oh, you know, about eight hours. Tried to sleep about eight hours. Didn't mention the sofa. Or my tendency to sleep on it. And um, then, then they said, do you feel tired in the mornings? And I think, it, yeah, so I said, maybe I should have lied to them, but I wanted the data to be accurate, and um, I said, no, I'm knackered. I go straight for a, straight for a coffee. It's the first thing I do, and if I didn't have that coffee, I'd be in very big trouble. And they, so they were, yeah, they were taking their notes. It's like quite, quite, um, quite nice of them. And then they started to ask, do you, do you use your, basically I unraveled everything. They said, like, do you, do you use technology? Why like, do you sleep with with your phone or with anything? And I said straight away, yep. Yeah, have to have to use my laptop to be able to get to sleep. I almost referred them to this to episode five of Blog Standard, but I thought that might be a bit much to try and directly push my podcast onto young people. But I could have yeah. You could do with the listeners, just so you know. <sighs> Thanks for that. But it's, yeah, you're right, you're right, it's probably true. I mean, we could it could actually help their English, I suppose. Um, they could be a way of sort of marketing it to them. Anyway, you know, yeah, um, that, was, that was an event. And then uh, I've also started another alternative revenue stream recently, which I don't know at what point you stop calling them alternative revenue streams and just calling them jobs when your business isn't actually really surviving on its own or even surviving at all. I basically just have a job and I have this business. Um, but yet, so I was... I have a sort of gig with this agency where they send me off to write things. It's a bit like journalistic thing. And, um, yeah, a couple of months ago, I start off with this... Uh, um. I get an email, and it was quite confusing because they said they wanted me to go off to the sort of slightly remote part of 
Shellen, the island of Copenhagen's on, and interview a bloke. And the email said, perm culture. And I was like, all right. And I, I mean, I was in a massive rush, you know, when you get a gig like this, you just go. There's no time to ask questions, especially when you need need the cash. And it said, so there's a picture of this bloke, uh, Jason, and he had, he had a sort of piece of headwear on. And it said, you need to go and interview him, thousand words, question and answer about permaculture. And so, it, and he's got in this picture, he's got a sort of piece of headwear on. And, you know, I put two and two together and I'm like, or I tried to put two and two together and I'm like, he's, all right, it's about permaculture. So I'm, all I can work out is that he's, it's about people who have a perm, you know, and like lifestyle associated with that fashion movement or wh whatever you want to call it. And whatever he's wearing on his head is some sort of perm preparation or he's keeping his perm in a certain way, pre-curling. Anyway, so, yeah, all right, so I think this is a bloody weird assignment. Go off, train for a couple of hours, get there. And uh, quite a nice bloke, you know, and I started chatting. And um, I sort of, you know, start the old... It's on, you know, so he's on a quite remote place. It's a kind of house with a bit of land on it. And uh, I start talking to him, just the general, you know, like, how did you get into permaculture? Like, how did it all start? And um, he starts, yeah... First of all, he starts talking about, like... starts showing me around his farm and talking about um, these kind of holistic methods of farming he's got. And first of all, I'm like, well, what's, what's going on here? Um, this doesn't link up. And then he goes on and on about how this farm he's got, everything feeds each other, he's, he's growing, these, um, growing these beautiful plants, the water source has been dug in a well which naturally fills up in the way. I'm like, hold on a second, I've got it wrong here. And I, then, he, then he mentions permaculture is very hard to explain to people. He's talked all along, they made a mistake in the email. It was, uh, it was permaculture. Hadn't heard of it before. It's a natural, anyway. And the um, the exotic headwear was actually a sort of um, he, he was a uh, he was a rasta, or believer in that. So it was a sort of uh, rasta cap, uh, if you like. Anyway, that was quite that was quite confusing. Anyway, and then I so since then I've done more in this job. Um, and, uh, you know, like I was on my way to the train, I didn't realise, like, I didn't take in all the information, but they want me to do a little bit more for them. Yeah, and it turns out it's this... It's kind of this sort of farmer's market in Copenhagen, but um, they want, uh, you know, various writing jobs done for them, little social media posts and stuff, and then I was... Uh, I started on my first official day, I actually went to the office, and... Um, I thought I'd had a very good day, you know, did a few little social media posts, started the machinations of working 
an article and uh, then I was told off by my boss for um, using an aubergine emoji out of season, which sort of burst my bubble. And she actually told me, she told me it in quite a serious way, to be honest, like it had actually been a slightly major fuck-up. And I couldn't work out if it's because... Is it because the um, aubergine emoji is was actually out of season, or is it because of its sexual nature? I mean, it's inappropriate to use an aubergine emoji at all in a sort of public social media post. I don't really know. But yeah, no. Um, it's, a, it's been a strange job in the first couple of months. I mean, it looks very wholesome from the outside, this uh, this farmer's market. But um, there's all sorts of internal strife that people wouldn't really understand from the outside. There's, um, there's actually a bloke there. I won't mention any details about him, but he is known as the apple bastard. He's basically a man who sells apples and is also sort of known for being a bit of a bastard and uh, all kicked off last week you know sort of I was trying to keep been trying to keep peace in this organisation to be honest and it all really yeah kicked off last week the Apple Bastard made a very nasty social media post about uh, how much there how there was too much competition at the market and now he's turning up but refusing to actually bring his apples he used to he used to walk around with a kind of apple as a prop, almost. So he'd be constantly eating an apple. I assume it wasn't obviously wasn't the same apple. Christ knows how many he got through each market, because every time he walked around, he would be taking a bite from it and sort of holding it with three fingers, as you do an apple, maybe four. But um, yeah, so it's all sort of it's all it's it's all popping off behind the scenes. But it's um, that's the sort of thing that's going on apart from my um, apart from the business. Um, but anyway, um, I think as I told you before, this episode's all about um, it's all about meaning, and uh, I'm taking another small break from the from the manifesto and you know my sort of manifesto for the age of despair in the context of modern work. I feel like. There's a slight danger of people finding it a little bit moany. So I think I think I'm going to take another break. So th- this this episode I'm going to recite a conversation with Mr. Beebe. And uh, I think he doesn't really get enough credit for how how wise it is sometimes. So I'm going to yeah I'm going to do a little readout of that the second the second piece of music you. Uh, put out before Christ I'm bored I just finished tennis and I lost to the pigeon again God I hate losing to the pigeon he's my tennisist that's for sure I've always had a tennisist makes it more interesting really stakes are higher it helps to find a reason to hate the person even if they're actually quite a nice bloke and it helps that the pigeon is actually fairly annoying in reality too. He brings a little Bluetooth speaker to tennis and plays shite club music during training. 
I can't be bothered to explain to him that one of the few reasons I play tennis is for a bit of mental peace, some respite. In fact, it's one of the only times I don't think. Anyway, as I said, I'm bored and it's a Friday evening. I reckon I'll text Mr. Beebe and see what he's up to. Pub? I text to the Beeb. He does a thumbs up emoji and we arrange to meet in 15. After settling in, the Beeb starts philosophizing over a strong and sugary IPA. There's a lack of meaning out here, opines the Beeb as he strokes his mustache. We've lost both religious belief and the excitement of modernity. It's been replaced by a deluge of confusing information. Now we're left to create our own meaning, like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill for eternity. We have to create belief systems that make life worth living. Christ the Beeb is wise. He's positively venerable. He's the venerable Beeb. I remember talking to my uncle about how not many things get called venerable. There's the venerable Bede. Then we decided that the only other thing we considered venerable was my grandpa. Even he's pushing it. Mr. Boo... Mr. Booby? Mr. Beebe sits back with a sigh and continues kicking the ball of one-way conversation. What is meaning, anyhow? If we reduce meaning to things that really matter, we've been tempted to give up our jobs, stop socializing with anyone we're not 100% sure of spending our time with, and quit our relationships if they didn't represent total bliss. But if we continue with this brutal meaning process, we'd realize that nothing has meant any meaning at all, and we'd just do nothing. Or maybe we'd actually keep plodding along once this lack of meaning was confirmed. Nothing we do will survive the test of time. Even the greatest minds ever to have existed will one day not exist, even in memory. Does the fact that one day the earth will cease to exist and all our memories with it mean that what we do from day to day is insignificant? seeing as we will die after a relatively short time anyway. Bloody hell, Beep, I say. You know how to cheer a man up. I'm down and out, so I really would rather you change your tune. I just lost to the pigeon again. He's about 55 and smokes loads. Hmm, so I suppose you'd rather talk about the mundane, would you? I did see a show the other day called Fuckboy Island. Shall we chat about that? Good God, Beeb, no. We can't stoop that low. Obviously, I don't know how people can get meaning from this shite either. I was talking to my aunt the other day. She was recounting how she'd been at a teacher's reunion and they were reminiscing about one of the curricula they'd made back in the day. They clearly think of themselves as rather groundbreaking in their efforts. I told her she should maybe set up a TV program with the same format as Band of Brothers. You know, the teachers sit in the room, old and now retired, and they're interviewed about their past exploits. Then it kind of cuts to a reenactment of them slowly making the curriculum in 1991. She didn't even laugh about this. She thought it to be a serious proposition and said she'd have a think about it. 